0: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us to discuss the youth vote and everything related to young people ahead of the 2022 midterm elections is Rainsford Stauffer from Teen Vogue. Thank you so much for being here this morning.
1: Good morning. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So um, it, it's, it's such a fascinating topic because one of the things that I always have to start off any conversation about the youth vote um, with is the fact that the youth vote is different every single election cycle because <laughs> people are turning 18 all the time. So every time we're saying like young voters and the youth vote, we're talking about a different universe of, of people and of voters and they all – have different things that they care very much about. So, my first question is, when we're talking about young voters in the 2022 midterms, who are we talking about? They're they're different than who we were talking about in 2020 or in 2018 even.
1: That's such a great point because I think first one of the things that happens when we talk about not just the youth vote, but kind of this broad terminology of young people in general, is this assumption that young people are a monolith, um, that every young person is a member of Gen Z, that every Gen Zer supports the exact same things and wants to see the world go in the exact same way, and I think it's really important to recognize that just like everyone else, everyone of prior generations, everyone of all ages, the things that young people are impacted by, the things they're thinking about, the issues that shape their day-to-day, all shape the things that they think are important in an election, in a community, in their schools, in society. One of the things I loved about reporting this story is that the young people and the organizers I spoke to were thinking really big about the kind of world they wanted to live in. They were thinking about climate justice and reproductive justice and really dialing into their local communities and making sure that not just them, but the communities that they are a part of have their basic needs met and feel safe and supported. And I think that that's something that's really important to flag going into
0: midterms. You mentioned some of the issues that young people are are really focused on, like climate justice, student debt. Um, obviously, we're all living through the COVID pandemic. I think that's top of mind for a lot of young people who have had to do a thing called remote college or remote schooling um, some, of some form. Um, but also, we lived through the racial reckoning, which was an intergenerational protest after what I like to say is an intergenerational lockdown. So I feel like people were having those conversations with with their parents at the beginning of COVID. Speak to some of the specific issues that the organizers you talked to highlighted as top of mind for them. I feel like when young people get to the point where they understand that like, oh, climate change is an issue I have to care about because I'm going to actually be alive when they say the deadline is (laughs) for when we actually can't fix it. So speak to some of the specific issues um, that were cited by the organizers you spoke with.
1: So it was such an incredible range. The first example that comes to mind is Minnesota Youth Collective. Talk to me about how from 2018 to 2022, the organization shifted really massively from this purely electoral organizing work um, to a space where young people were building skills and advocating for issues like housing and public safety. They turned their offices into a mutual aid hub. And part of that shift happened after the murder of George Floyd, where the organizer I spoke to was very clear that it felt almost inauthentic to be doing voter registration work in a time when we were talking about black people being murdered by the police. And I think that that's an important example to cite for so many reasons. Um, One of them being, it matters the context in which we're talking about these issues and in which young people are experiencing them. New Era Colorado, an organization in Colorado, went on a listening tour and talked to young people across the state about what was on their minds, the issues they wanted to see the organization tackle, and it really ran an entire range from climate justice to reproductive rights higher education and student debt democracy reform immigrant rights and i think that that's another important example to point out because i think that young people in general if i can paint with a broad brush the young people i spoke to really think about these issues as intersectional and interconnected you know we're thinking about student debt in the same vein as we are racial justice. We're thinking about how economic justice is connected to both of those things. And that was one of the most exciting parts of reporting this story for me is getting to hear how people on the ground were thinking about how these issues play out
0: every single day
1: in their own communities.
0: I love that because we were just having sort of the robust debate last week. Not debate. People were talking about how inflation was the most important and abortion was the silo issue to the side that only certain you know maybe feminist activists they care very much about it but regular americans the regular people they don't care about that and everybody was like wait have you ever heard of intersectionality like have you ever heard that perhaps abortion is an issue that intersects <laughs> with your economic concerns, I mean, have you ever heard of that? Um, and I feel like young people in in such a fascinating way, you know they, they understand it fundamentally like almost organically, without having someone to, with, without having the need for someone to explain intersectionality to them the way I feel like I have to to like my parents' generation they 're like what <laughs> um, and and one of the things um, one of the organizers you spoke to, Chris Suggs, said folks aren't interested in hearing you talk about politics or what's going on, uh, going to be on their ballot, like ballot initiatives. If they if they don't know where they're going to sleep at night or where their next meal is coming from. I mean, I think one of the other pieces of your story that was so important. You've already mentioned a piece of it is the fact that you know it felt it felt very out of touch to just be like register to vote, vote, get out the vote, when when George Floyd is is murdered. And millions of Americans are going out in the streets to make their voices heard on that issue. Or we're living through a once in a generation pandemic and people are losing their jobs and livelihoods and don't have food. Can you speak to the way in which organizers on the ground, to your point, they're not just registering people to vote or like, you know, doing a GOTV drive. They're actually doing that kind of community based organizing that provides services and care to the community first as a part of the larger strategy of organizing
1: absolutely and i want to be clear i don't want to speak for young people here but i'm very excited to share what i've heard which is exactly what you've described that there is a level of care and community building and attention to meeting material needs first that I got to hear about that I honestly think should inform the approach of so much civic engagement and voter turnout work moving forward. And I say that because I think that they're great examples of not just seeing part of the picture. They see or described to me as seeing voting as one tool in a toolbox, not necessarily the end all be all. And they all emphasized you know, that midterm elections were incredibly important, that young people should register, that young people should turn out. But we have to zoom out, I think, and look, number one, at some of the barriers that might prevent a young person from doing so or from thinking their vote matters in the first place. And second, I think it's really critical that these young people described year round, day in and day out, on the ground organizing and community building that focused on things like helping community members when they were threatened with their utilities being shut off or Mm -hmm. they didn't have access to food, they couldn't book themselves a COVID vaccine all of those things intersect with how someone shows up to vote and whether they vote and I think more importantly it makes sure they're in a safe and stable spot to even zoom out and see how the issues they care about are showing up in policies or on the ballot and I think that the young people I spoke to just emphasized time and time again that while yes we need young people to turn out to vote Talking about the idea of the youth vote is just not enough to engage them. And it seems to me that that's really because of the work they're doing on the ground every day. They know that that talking point, it just go vote, isn't enough. We have
0: to be doing more to meet people where they are and get their needs met immediately. I want to speak to some of the policies that um, folks cited. I mean, one of the things that I've learned about, you know, I'm an old millennial. Um, and so I you know there was a lot of talk about the millennials and what we thought about different issues and how we voted how we approached life and all of those things and now all the think pieces are written about gen z a bigger generation more diverse generation but also um statistically a more progressive generation can you speak to some of the progressive policies Um, that the young organizers you spoke with cited because i think that's also a fascinating piece it's not just that you know like oh young people are more liberal or something like that and it's not that it's that they are specifically citing bold progressive policy change because some of these issues that they're talking about like climate are existential so they require really, really radical change as opposed to incremental change that's really slow because there's actually a time limit. Well, in the context of climate.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I, I think that this question could go in a million different directions, which speaks to what we were talking about earlier with the intersectionality Student debt is one I heard a lot about, and I think that that one is such um, a big deal on the minds of so many people, whether or not they decided to attend a four-year college because of how it trickles out and impacts all of these other things. So I think that when people say student debt, yes, cancel student debt, we need to make college free or at least more affordable. But I think that that's part of a bigger context in how people are thinking about things like rent stabilization and affordable housing they're thinking about health care and how they're going to get care in their neighborhoods and then in their communities if they're not insured through their jobs Universal health care is one that I hear a lot about when I do this kind of reporting because so many young people are not going to the doctor because they don't have health insurance or they're in a situation where a family member that they're caring for can't get the care that they need because we have no structure like paid leave. We don't have these universal policies that act as a safety net and allow people to make choices that work in the context of their lives. So I think that you're exactly right that it's bigger than just single issues. It's more thinking about how these issues work together to make a more transformative change.
0: One of the other things you mentioned in the piece um, is, you know, it relates to education, but not necessarily higher education. But even the idea that some of these organizations um, are engaging and getting in the mix when these culture war fights are happening. So speak to how young people are responding to, you know, the attacks on critical race theory. I mean, I, I feel like in some ways it's like they're not even the people learning it unless they're in law school. So they're not even like, um, you know, impacted in, in a direct way by the attacks on critical race theory. Um, but I think that the fact that they're jumping right into those waters and saying no We understand intersectionality. We understand intersectional feminism. These things are, you know, we understand American history in a different way because we are native to the Internet and have social media and we've been educated on so many different parts of history that were not in books. Um, Talk about how they're jumping into some of the culture war issues also from a completely different perspective than the generations that came before.
1: And again, I don't want to speak for them, but I think the young people that I've talked to wouldn't even necessarily describe it as a culture war. Yeah. I think even the idea mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. are quote unquote warring yeah. yeah. about yeah. whether to teach accurate <laughs> history, and you know this better than I do, yeah. about whether to teach accurate history in schools is just almost unfathomable. It's hard to comprehend if we weren't watching it happen, if, and if we hadn't been watching that progression happen over the course of years. Voters of Tomorrow, an organization that I spoke to for this piece, um, was talking about they acted very quickly and very responsively on the ground and had organizers distribute copies of banned books to high schoolers in Virginia and Texas following book bans. So I think we see concrete examples like that We see young people helping to inform one another and engage each other, but we also see them doing things like showing up to school board meetings where they can. I think that when young people show up to school board meetings, when they walk out of school in protest of abusive and harmful policies, when they fight for accurate history to be taught in their schools, I think it's not just that they're fighting for a better future than the one that we're currently existing in, I think it's that they want that justice now. It shouldn't be a question whether a young person today is going to walk away from their high school education knowing the full breadth of what has happened in this country since its inception. And I think that they see that or have described to me seeing that just as connected to these other more policy-focused specific issues. They see it as all one big picture. And I think that that's really important not to let these Issues that are unfolding largely in schools and on school boards feel like they're separate from the bigger picture when they're very much a part of this whole.
0: Really, really important points. The other, the other thing I think a lot about, and I'm I'm glad to hear in your or in your reporting that young people are also thinking about this, which is the threat to democracy um, in this particular moment. Um, that's actually the the last piece, uh, the last quote in your piece. All mm-hmm. it's it's an organizer saying. All those things are incredibly important to our future, citing the other issues that we've been talking about this morning and, you know, saving democracy, honestly. This is a piece of the story that is unprecedented, right? So so mm-hmm. I have been beginning to say this sentence. Like, this is the first post-insurrection midterm election we've ever had, um, and that means something to me, right? We didn't have a peaceful transfer of power in 2020. That's never happened before. We ended Roe versus Wade. In young people's lifetimes, that's never been something that's a reality. There's always been legal abortion for their entire lifetimes, for my entire lifetime. Speak to this idea that, you know, as many of the issues, the specific issues we've been talking about are existential, the threat to American democracy and the ability for us to even have a functioning democracy going forward after this midterm is something that young voters, they're they're paying very close attention to that.
1: I think that that's the whole thing. I think
0: that that, especially
1: for these midterm elections, I think that that is the umbrella under which everything else is interconnected and under which everything else is sitting. Because one of the things that came through loud and clear in conversations I had for this piece is kind of this duality where young people are fighting for the bold progressive policies that they want to see implemented, that they want for their community, they want for their peers, they want for people older than them, but also they are fighting to hang on to the rights that as you pointed out, have been felt like givens in a lot of ways, or at least felt like things that we had, we knew we needed to guard them, but we had them. And now there's kind of this double fight happening where it is a fight for the future that young people wanna see in the world, but it's also very much trying to hang on or in some cases gain back rights that have now been stripped away. And I think that the threats to democracy, what we're seeing now with a flurry of election deniers running for all levels of government, we're seeing voter suppression, which we know has been an issue historically in this country. All of these things add up to make the stakes incredibly high. And one of the other young organizers that I interviewed for this piece, I don't want to butcher the paraphrasing of this quote, but they said that, you know, when people told them, vote like your life depends on it, they actually believe that. And I think that that is the weight of the youth vote, if that's the term we're going to use. And I think it's important for politicians, for advocacy organizations, for people working with young people to know that those are the stakes that they're seeing, that Mm. this is a life and death situation, not just for democracy, but also for all of our livelihoods within it. And I think that tie Mm. is going to be important, certainly in midterms, but is also going to be how we think about this moving forward, too.
0: I would say that's fairly accurate. I mean, the thing about young young people, and again, we're using that umbrella term very broad, very loosely, um, but I but I feel like they understand what's happening in this moment almost better than some of the older generations that maybe think that our institutions will hold. I mean, there is a sort of naive mindset you have to. Be in to believe that you know this is just another horse race election and we're just gonna like do some polling analysis. And it's just like all the other ones when you have 300 Republican candidates running who deny the results of the 2020 election, which, as I mentioned, is the one where there was an insurrection after it. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about, we have about five more minutes. Um, is about this idea of power, because that comes up a mm-hmm. bunch of different times in the piece. And I think of this a lot of different ways. I think young people understand that, you know, the Senate is really old. The Congress is old. People in, in elected office are old, and that their needs, there is a need for a generational shift. Do you get the sense that they want to be that shift? Be a part of that shift? Do they want to run for office? Do they run, run for office on the local level? Are they joining school boards or just showing up to the meetings? Like, How are they approaching this idea of trying to gain power, not just through voting, but also by running? And are, are they going to be the new candidates um, in this next generation of people who run for elected office?
1: I think it's not a question so much of whether young people are going to be the next phase of political power in this country. I think that it's how they're going to use it that is so interesting. And it's certainly something that came up in this piece, because thinking about what long-term power building looks like for young people was kind of an inflection point that I heard from organizers all over the country is, we've talked about the youth vote, we've engaged young people, young people are showing up, they're participating, what now? I think that we're going to see a really interesting split. I think a lot of young people, in my opinion, rightfully, feel very disenfranchised and put out with traditional politics and business as usual. I think that the lack of faith and lack of trust in institutions is detrimental. And I also understand how young people got there. I think that uh, one difference that the young people have cited compared to some members of older generations is there really has not been a point in most of their lifetimes where this country has not been in some form of acute crisis. And I think that we could certainly argue that that is the American story and that it's been that way throughout history. But I think there's something to be said for watching all of this happen in real time and the access to information that young people have that does make the stakes feel a little bit different. On the flip side, (laughs) to make that into a positive thing, young people that I spoke to have already thought about running for office. They are petitioning for student seats on school boards if they aren't 18 and can't run already. And more than that, they're pushing for those seats to be voting because they believe that students and young people shouldn't be token young people members Mm -hmm. of boards of directors. They should be people with voices and votes that carry weight on policy, whether it's budgets or hiring superintendents. I do think that we will see young people run for office and I'm very curious to see whether they do that in a way that is different from some of their older predecessors. I think that we're already kind of seeing that Mm -hmm. with Gen Z candidates running. I think that that's something that'll continue. But ultimately, I don't think that their work day to day on the ground will ever stop. I think that it is so ingrained in the young people I spoke to, how they see the world, how they process themselves as part of it, that that's what makes me most hopeful is the unwillingness to back down and to lose hope that we can make this better, that we can put progressive policies in place that change the futures, not just of young
0: people, but of all of us. Right. No, it's, it's a really important point. I think young people, I always tell this story about my first um, time volunteering for Barack Obama in 2008. I eventually moved to the state of Virginia to become an organizer. But even before that, I did voter registration. Mm-hmm. in new jersey before i moved and i and i show up and the person in charge is 17 and i ask her rather naively um why are you here <laughs> um you can't vote i don't understand why you are here today this doesn't make sense and she looked at me and she looked me straight in my eyes and she said because i have to live in the country and i wow. was like whoa my god <laughs> yeah and then she said and if i could vote that would be one vote which is like that's cool But if I stand here today and I register 100 people, that's 100 votes. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But I think to your point, I think young people have the capacity to see things um, in a a different light than we sometimes always default to. And it's so important to have them as a part of this conversation. We have one more minute. And I, I before we go. Um, we have our next guest ready on the Zoom. But before we go, you know, th- un- unfortunately, there was another school shooting yesterday in St. Louis mm-hmm. where two people were killed. Um, I believe the gunman was also killed or is in incus- killed, I believe, is what I saw. Um, and many others were injured. This is the other thing. After Parkland, I remember so many of the young organizers saying You know, like you keep telling us like we can't change this issue, but like we just have to elect different senators like they understand fundamentally the mechanisms and and the levers of power they need to Mm -hmm. change and use to make change on these policies. You know, when you think about gun violence happening in school settings, do you think that that's I mean, along with all of these other issues we've been talking about this morning, that's one of the most Uh, big driving catalyst for their passion in this moment is the fact that like it's the shootings are happening at their schools with their friends and classmates.
1: Yes, I think that most of them, most young people today are acutely aware that we have politicians that have consistently chosen to let them practice things like lockdown drills beginning in kindergarten that have let them live through this trauma rather than change policy to prevent that from happening. And personally, I'm torn because I think that it is An incredible responsibility and an incredible amount of pressure we put on young people to save the world as they're trying to grow up in it. But we also know that young people throughout history have been drivers of social change and of progress. And so I think it's this duality where it's a lot of pressure, but it's also pressure that they feel is very necessary because they are losing their peers. They are having their school days altered. This is not an unrealistic concern for a young person to go into school And wonder if they are going to come back out at the end of the day and that is something that i hear about over Mm -hmm. and over that the inaction that this country has taken on gun violence has been a major catalyst for young people saying if you all won't do it we will Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's hard to trace how that relates to other issues that are on the minds of young people when thinking about how they're going to step up and take control of their future and what they want that future to hold
0: Really important points and such an in-depth conversation about the youth, probably the most in-depth conversation um, I've ever had in the media (laughs) about young voters and and probably that folks have ever heard. Really important piece. I'll tweet it out again this morning in Team Vogue. Um, Rainsford Stoffer, thank you so much for being here this morning and talking through this with us. It was so important. Um, to focus on this because I hate when people are just like young voters and like, you know, you're talking about different people. Like people are turning 18 every day. Um, I need you to have a more uh, nuanced understanding. So thank you for helping us do that this morning. Please stay safe.
1: Thank you so much for having me for such a great conversation.
0: Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.